Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Thank you, Alex. Like you already invited us to take a couple deep breaths, but I just feel like I just like want to stretch after that song. Like I just feel like my chains are gone. That is such, such welcome news this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Brenna Rubio. I am the other pastor here. Sometimes we say I am the quiet pastor, but I am uh, just as excited as Bill to see you all this morning that we get to be together in this space where somehow in the midst of it all, in the midst of COVID and just all sorts of craziness, we are still a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And so thanks. Thanks for giving us part of your Sunday to come and to be together. One of the things that we love to do as we get started together is that we like to pay a special bit of attention to the kids among us, whether they are actually like physically in your space right now, or if they're just children who are on your hearts, they could be nieces and nephews, grandchildren, the kids who are in your neighborhood, the kids at our local school. We want to take a little bit of time to center them this morning to remember that they are awesome and God loves them. So would you join me all, uh, join me in praying for just a minute. God, you're so good. And you always welcomed the children. You showed us what it meant uh, just to reach out arms, uh, to be just so willing to stoop down, to, to get at the level of the little ones and to learn from them, to love them, uh, to not worry about uh, getting messed up, to not worry about adult priorities, uh, but just to be there and to connect and to love. Would you help give us that perspective as well with the little ones in our lives? God, it may be challenging right now to figure out how to love the kids around us well uh, when so many of our patterns uh, in our own neighborhoods and even our families have been shifted but God would you help us to reach out in practical ways today to let the kids among us know that they are not forgotten that they are incredibly valued incredibly loved um, that like you we see them for all of the wonderful things uh, that you have built into them and into their lives God, thanks for looking at us that same way. Thanks for calling us your children. We know you love us and we love you too. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brenda Rubio. Appreciate you being, the, I don't know. I, I guess I call you the quiet pastor, but maybe you're just the thoughtful pastor. <laughs> um, so we are continuing in our sermon series through the book of James. Uh, we have been looking at James for, oh, this is week nine, I think. So we're in the last chapter. We'll finish it up next week, and then we'll head into Advent, uh, which will be super fun. And today we have a super special guest preacher. Some of you saw her earlier if you were on. Sally Steele, you want to unmute and say hi? Hey, everyone. Yeah, so you recognize her. She was here in September. She helped us when we became official uh, as a church. Uh, she is on the classes executive team, which is part of our denomination that helps groups like us kind of step into being a, a, an adult church, so to speak. So she helped with that process. She's also the co-director of City Hope, which is a nonprofit in San Francisco that 
basically it's creating a, a living room and, and home for people who don't have space like that in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco. So a lot of the unhoused neighbors there spend a lot of time with Sally and her staff. Um, and she is also a reverend. Uh, so she's ordained and, um, She's going to bring the word to us today. So we're in James 5, which uh, I hope you're all sitting down for this because, woo, what a passage. It is quite the zinger. So excited about that. So uh, Shelby and Brandon are going to read our scripture for us today. If you guys would unmute um, and uh, read some scripture for us. Sweet. Can you all hear us okay? Awesome. So James 5, 1 through 11. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient then, siblings, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, siblings, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Siblings, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. All right. All right, Sally. Good luck with this one. Thank you. Um, so it, it really is a joy and a blessing to be with you all again this morning. Um, and I'm excited to dig into this passage because anytime something starts with weep and wail, uh, we, we know we're in for, for a good time. So um, I'm glad to have the opportunity to see all your faces again this morning and to uh, dig through this together and see what we can find that speaks to all of us in whatever situation we're in. Um, so this passage has a lot to do with money, but it also is not really about the money. Um, and so today we're going to talk a little bit more about what the use of money and power means in relation to others. Uh, because scripture's really telling us that the way we use our resources, um, however much or however little you have, is not neutral. What you do with it does make a difference and God does care about it. Um, and this was the case both then when uh, James wrote this letter and it's the case now. Um, it's about money, but it's also about power because those two often go hand in hand. Uh, the title over the scripture verse, um, if you open it in, script, in, in the actual Bible, um, the title says warning to rich oppressors. So it's already like quite a start, but it's really that the oppressor part that I want to focus in on. Um, and that's where it's about money, but it's really about money coupled with power. Um, and oppression is, um, and let me give you actually two little caveats before I start. 
Um, one, I have three children at home. So if you hear background noise, just bear with me. Uh, two, um, I really like words and definitions. And so throughout this, I'll be like, and this means this. And so you might be like, yeah, I know. Um, but I'm wanting to make sure that we're all focused in on the relevant piece of a word's meaning. Um, and so I'll be doing that throughout. So just, I really like words, so just bear with me. Um, so again, the scripture title is Warning to Rich Oppressors, and I really want to focus in on that coupling of money with power. Um, and what does it mean to oppress? Um, and this is where my first definition comes in, which, so oppression is unjust treatment or control. Um, so it's not just about having a lot of resources, but using it in a way that moves people away from equity and that seeks to control something that is not yours to control. Um, people are not ours to control and resources are not only for our own benefit. So it's important to think about this passage in terms of um, justice and in terms of um, how we interact with other people. Uh, one of the things I found really interesting as I was starting to dig into the scripture is that I was reading commentaries, just books that people wrote about what they thought um, or blogs online or whatever, about what people thought about this particular passage. And almost everybody said that, oh, this it actually isn't written to the church. This is not written to Christians. It's to those unbelievers who oppress people. And I just want to say I, that's not, I disagree with that. Um, I think this message is definitely to the church. It is definitely to all of us. Uh, we all have the capacity to oppress. And the church, um, although it started initially as a group of marginalized folks, um, as a poor community, and in a lot of part of the world it still is, and we certainly um, have marginalized and poor folks within our church community, the church has also gained a lot of power. The church as an institution has gained a lot of power around the world and in our country. And we can't pretend that's not true. Um, and as a result, the church itself as an institution, um, regardless of the fact that the church body is actually made up of a lot of folks who are still poor and marginalized, the church itself has become in some cases an oppressive force. So I think this passage is absolutely to us. Um, and it's really timely. Like I know for myself, um, there have definitely been times, in fact, um, I'll, I'll just put it out there that some of the moments when I felt the most oppressed have actually been within church spaces, um, whether it's because of my gender, whether it's because of being a person of color, uh, whether it's because earlier on being a young person on staff, like whatever the, the, um, the, the reason was, um, it was not my turn yet. Um, or you can't do that because, uh, and there was just so many restrictions. And the church actually um, is a space that I stepped away from for a while. Um, I wouldn't say I stepped away from my faith, but I stepped away from the institution of the church because it felt so oppressive. Um, so I, um, as you can tell, this is gonna be a really uplifting message. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, but I just wanna be honest that this uh, passage um, means something to me personally and I do think it speaks to us today. Um, how we use our power, um, however much we have, how we use our money, however much we have, um, matters. And we can use it to be an oppressive force or we can use it um, 
to not be oppressive, to move towards justice and to move towards equity. Um, and I do want to say that the scripture does speak to all of us because we all have the capacity to oppress, even if we don't have the same amount of power or position or money. Um, and this scripture does mention the rich specifically, so it doesn't speak to all of us in the same way, but nobody is powerless. We do all have um, some level of power in whatever sphere we're in, whether that's in your workplace or in your home or within your community. Um, we all have um, some level of power and some of us have more and some of us have less. Um, and the reality is that most of us carry some combination. So I know for myself, I mentioned, you know, as a brown woman, as someone who um, has had certain life experiences, um, I definitely have experienced oppression. And I know that I have privilege from having received an education, from being light-skinned, right? Um, the fact that I'm an ordained minister and therefore have the microphone to talk to all of you today, that is a form of power. And the question is, how do I then turn around and use that? Um, how do we turn around and use whatever power we have? Are you using your power and your resources as tools of oppression? That is the question today that James is asking the church then and that he's asking to us as we read this today. Um, and there's two tools of oppression that he specifically mentions that I wanna highlight. Um, so the first one's in verse three. Um, verse three reads, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. And I wanna focus in on that word hoarded, uh, which again, let me pull out my dictionary and <laughs> tell you that it means to store money or valued objects typically in secret or carefully guarded, which I thought was a really interesting um, tidbit because when I think of hoarding, I think of hoarding shows like where they tell you like how to un unclutter your house, I guess, because you've been hoarding things. Um, but the word hoarding, and, and I think that this is what it means in this particular verse is really about storing things for yourself and guarding them closely and in secret in order to amass even more power and position for yourself. So the questions for us this morning are, um, are, we careful, are we carefully guarding what we have even as others suffer? Are we speaking up for someone who is wronged at work, on the bus, at the store, um, as someone who is smaller in stature, as someone who is introverted, as someone who is a little bit on the shyer side, I have a hard time with this one. Um, I am fine with speaking up for people, usually like in the workplace and that sort of thing, but I get nervous when I see things on the bus and I get nervous when I see things in the store. But how can I use my power to speak up for others? Or am I hoarding the privilege and power I have for myself? How are we hoarding our communities? Um, so that's a source of power too, right? Like you being in your in-group. Um, are you in your in-group, in your community, in your friend group? Do you have power that you're wielding over other family members? All of this is a hoarding. Um, so sometimes when we read these scriptures, we're like, well, we don't have hired staff and we don't have this. And you're like, oh, that, so that must not apply to me. I must not be a rich oppressor. But with whatever power you have, with whatever resources you have, are you hoarding it? Are you hoarding it and keeping it 
for yourself? Are we guarding what we have as though it is the source of our life, as though it is our God? And that, it, that is the question we have to ask ourselves and that James is encouraging us to ask ourselves. The other thing this passage warns us against is, so the first one was hoarding, the second one is condemning. Verse six says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Um, and to condemn is to express complete disapproval of, typically in public. So you'll notice that the hoarding is something we do in secret, things that are for us, we keep for ourselves, but our judgment of others, we make public. Now, this is a human trait, this idea of, ex of condemning, expressing disapproval, it's othering, right? And it's a human trait to look for group affiliations. It has been something that has been widely researched and understood that that's just how our brains are formed. It's how we make quick judgment calls to protect ourselves. Um, we find group affiliations like, oh, that person looks like me or that person seems to talk like me. Maybe this person is this, or well, at least I'm not that. And, and we do it in a self-protective way. Um, but when that um, self-protective measure goes too far, when it becomes a, such an ingrained bias that we start othering people and not even giving people an opportunity to show us who they really are, um, that is when something goes from being, um, as you know, said this, it will remain normal. It's something we do and it becomes incredibly harmful. Um, by speaking against the marginalized, by othering people, but saying, by saying that they are not like us, we are saying they are not as good as us. And it's not a far leap to then say, well, they don't deserve what we have. And it becomes an incredibly harmful cycle that we get into um, and is another way that we oppress people, that we use our power and our resources to cause harm. Um, we also have the, um, the capacity to indirectly cause physical harm. So, you know, the scripture talked about murder, which kind of feels like, oh, not do that. Um, but how do we indirectly cause harm? Um, how do we participate in an unjust system, right? Especially like in this political climate that we're in um, and just the bombardment of um, social media and news stories, like we're seeing um, injustices that have been happening for generations for a really long time since the inception of the world and in our particular context since the inception of this country. Um, and we're seeing it happen around us. And in what ways are we responsible? Um, and and I, I say we, and, and not just you, because it's definitely myself too. I, I question myself on this. I wonder to what extent I'm responsible for the child separation that is happening, um, that has happened at the border. To what extent am I responsible for inhumane immigration laws or police brutality or mass incarceration? To what extent do I um, allow the policies that uh, deny worker rights and equal pay? Um, and I realize that this can be a hard thing to hear. Um, and I hope you hear that it's a hard thing for me to say because I'm trying to like figure this out too, like to what extent am I responsible for that? And then what do I do about it? Um, because that is a way that we can indirectly cause actual physical harm. Um, so we cause harm by othering and it can feel like an emotional harm. We can ca cause physical harm 
through the policies we support. And we can cause emotional and spiritual harm when we other people, because we are in essence, trying to erase the image of God in other people. And that is a deep, deep spiritual harm that we are causing. Um, and God doesn't allow this. Like he doesn't want that for us. And he doesn't want that for uh, the people that we are othering, whoever that may be for you. Um, and I do want you to, to take a, the moment to think about that. Like, who is that for you? Um, and I actually just pause for a second. Um, think about who you other and try to be as specific as possible just in your mind right now. And if you're like me, you might've thought of people in the abstract. Um, and maybe you've also thought of a very particular person with a particular name who you have othered. Um, God is calling us to something more. Um, in this passage, I mentioned at the beginning that has everything to do with money um, and that it has nothing to do with money. That God is calling us to something well beyond that, that he is ultimately through this passage um, helping us uh, craft a different way to be in community. It is a warning, all the things he lists uh, or that James lists inspired by the spirit are a, a warning um, to help us create the opposite, to help us go in the other direction in terms of creating an equitable community, to take those tools of oppression and turn them into gifts to the community instead. What would happen if we turned hoarding and condemning around? Um, I mentioned earlier that we guard or keep private or keep to ourselves our money and our power, but we make our judgment to others public. Our hoarding is secret and our condemn condemnation is public. But what if we did the opposite? What if we opened up our money and our power for public use and kept our judgments of others to ourselves, all while we work on stopping to judge people altogether? What if we turned those around? What if we did the opposite of hoarding which is to disperse, to spread widely, to be generous. What if we did that instead? What if we use the power we have, whatever it may be, and I'm not at all discounting that power differentials matter, and I'm not at all discounting that money does matter, right? Like we need to uh, care for our families, we need to care for ourselves. So I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but I'm saying what happens if we use whatever power and whatever resources we have to help people, to help people feel like they belong, um, to give a listening ear, to share of your possessions, to turn the microphone and the spotlight. Um, so, you know, for instance, I, I mentioned earlier, just getting to preach today, right? Like that is a turning of the spotlight and the microphone. And then the question is, who do I pass that on to? How do I make sure that I provide a platform for um, especially the folks of color or the LGBTQ folks or um, other marginalized people who um, are in my spaces, but who may not get to speak, not because they're voiceless. People aren't voiceless. They just may not have had the opportunity. So when somebody passes the mic to you or turns the spotlight, how do you then pass it on to somebody else? How do you... Um, go from a, a mindset of, of scarcity and hoarding and I need to keep this and I can't let anybody have it and 
Um, and the temptation is definitely there, um, especially when you are um, uh, kind of scrounging out like what you can in whatever space you have, right? Uh, and the temptation can be to be like, oh, I finally got something. And then to, to kind of hold on to for dear life. Um, so, but how do we instead have a generous mindset? How do we continue passing that microphone, passing the power, passing um, our resources around to create a more equitable system? Um, and likewise, how do we do the opposite of condemning? Um, so if you don't condemn, what you're doing is you're acquitting, which is to set free, to seek the freedom of others, especially those who are most marginalized. Um, and I have a, just like a, a quick true confession moment here. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that I, despite my warnings to other people not to do this, I got drawn into this whole like Facebook argument during the election season, which I always tell people like, oh, that's not the format to do that in. And okay, so fine. It's not, so don't do this, but I'm just telling you, I did it. And um, I was talking to this person who just like insisted that the church is being persecuted. And I was just like, no, we're really not. We're just, we're not being persecuted right now. Um, and there was this, just this sense of like, oh, we need to keep freedom for ourselves. And I'm like, well, there are a lot of marginalized people in the church and they're being persecuted in the church and outside the church. So how do we, instead of condemning others, how do we turn it around and seek the freedom of other people? Um, how do we seek to not turn the spotlight on ourselves and say, oh, the church is persecuted, but instead be like, well, what part of our church is actually being persecuted, right? Um, the poor, um, LGBTQIA siblings, our immigrant siblings, BIPOC folks, um, that's black indigenous people of color, um, people within the church who are being, being marginalized. Um, and again, I'm not saying that there aren't parts of the church or in the world who are being persecuted, but in this particular moment in history within um, this particular cultural context, the American church is not being persecuted. And yet the, the American church is persecuting people outside the church and people within the church. So how do we um, seek freedom for others instead of condemning others while seeking to protect ourselves. Um, to just in case I know you're all dying to know, the conversation didn't go great on Facebook because that's not the format for those conversations. I told the person to direct message me if they wanted to continue talking. They haven't taken me up on it, but I told them I was nice. So we'll see. I'll, I'll let you know next time. Um, but <laughs> the church needs to continue to seek the freedom of others. And I, I want us to think about what can we do, what can you do, what can I do to seek the freedom of those within our church and outside our church who are the most marginalized, those who are unhoused, those who are differently abled and not um, given access to all the things that they need access to. Um, how do we speak up for folks? How do we speak up for ourselves? Um, there are some of you who are listening right now who are like, hey, I need freedom. And yes, you do. Seek freedom for yourself. Seek freedom for your family. Seek freedom for your community. Um, and ask that of your church. Ask that of me. Ask that of your denomination. Ask that of your school. Ask that of your workplace. You deserve freedom too. You deserve it. I deserve it. 
Um, it's not a, um, it's not a pie. Uh, it's not like if you get freedom, I get less of it. Um, I really believe that we need to seek the freedom of all of us. We need to do the opposite um, of what James is warning the church. We need to not condemn and we need to not hoard. Uh, we need to rather give generously. We need to free people. We need to move towards um, a community with greater generosity and greater freedom. Um, and then comes this last bit in the, the text, which tells us to be patient and to persevere. Um, and I want to name, especially for those folks that I was just talking to who are like, I need freedom. Um, patience has been weaponized. Um, I cannot even begin to tell you the number of times I've been told to wait my turn and to not yet. Um, and oh, you don't really need that title because it doesn't really matter, says the person who already has the title and the position and the raise, right? And um, there's just all these spaces where it's not, um, where, where people will tell you to hold on um, and will give you no real um, hope really that things will change. They're just like, oh, be patient. And then at some point, if I decide to share my power, um, you'll be able to get to wherever you think you should go. But yeah, just wait your turn, which is another way of saying know your place, right? Um, and I know that that has been weaponized. So I want to name that because I don't think, um, let me rephrase that. I don't believe that that's what God is calling us to. I don't think that's what he means with patience. I think what he's doing is just acknowledging that things don't change right away. And so what do we do while we wait? While we wait, we continue to act. We continue to seek justice. We continue to advocate for freedom for ourselves and others. We continue to be generous. We continue to persevere. It's that, that um, idea of being in the space you're in. Um, there's actually this prayer book that um, I started reading not too long ago. It has um, a morning prayer, a midday prayer, an evening prayer, um, and then kind of scripture verses that go with it. Um, I've never actually done the midday prayer because I always forget, but I've been pretty good about doing the morning prayer and the evening prayer. And one of the things that has stuck out to me um, within, within that prayer and, and repetition really helps me is um, it says, um, it, it talks about having the courage to live the life you're living. And so while we're in this period of advocating and pushing and seeking justice for ourselves and others, of being generous, of seeking freedom, um, we also need to keep living. We have the life we have in front of us. We have our family, we have our community, we have our church, we have um, our friends, we have our pets, we have our purpose, we have our faith, um, and we need to keep living that life. Um, as you fight and go forward, like there is a, a sense to center ourselves and to continue pushing, but also know at the end of the day that you will find your rest in God and that he wants freedom for you now and that he is working alongside you now. Um, verse 11 uh, says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He sees us, compassion is to suffer with, he's suffering with us. Um, he sees our pain, he hears us, he is with us, um, and he will give us mercy. Um, and that is 
uh, my prayer for you all today and for myself um, that we will uh, fight and advocate and push and seek equity um, and remember at the end of the day that God suffers with us and that he hears us. So thank you for, for joining um, joining with me today as, as we kind of dig through the scriptures a bit. Um, and I will